Pick up your paintbrush, it's time for Hobby Support Group. Good evening, Charles. Good evening, Tom. Hello, listeners, and today, Shock Horror, we are back with the part two of the interview with Mr. Charles Roundtree, kind of on time and in episodic order. So, you know, sometimes a modicum of personality on this podcast is achievable. We did nearly have an, a, an episode in between these two, but Ed and I were too busy to record it. So instead, we've just got part two of our interview with Charles, where we will conclude our chat about the Battle of Scarif Rogue One board and maybe have a chat about what Charles is working on, you know, what minor small hobby project he may be working on at the moment, which we may be seeing later in the year. No spoilers. We'll see if we are still there at midnight in you know, three hours' time. So, good evening, Charles. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, last time you were on, we sort of like went through the actual sort of like building and designing and sort of the the outline of the Scarif Rogue One board, and we didn't actually sort of get into the actual the game playing part. Now, I know we sort of left it off, giving listeners the hopefully the theatre of the mind. Uh, explanation of, of how it sort of was like mind-bogglingly awesome in that it only wasn't not only was it the board with the massive tower but then you'd also then populated it with all the figures and then you had the space battle and the shield gate and everything in the top so now in 50 words or less Charles, uh, how did you then try to then like once you did you decide what elements you wanted to represent on the board and then work the game out around everything that you wanted. So you, you've got the attacks, you've got the X-Wings, you've got the troopers, you've got like the Rogue One squad. Did you decide what elements you wanted and then start to build the game around them? Or were you already intending on like the game mechanic before you sort of started adding those elements? So, yeah. So I, I, kind, of, I, I kind of started thinking about it um, as I was kind of doing the build. I, I didn't know what what the game I was going to run was going to look like when I started the build. I, I just um, started thinking about various elements and kind of, well, what was what would be cool uh, as as the board kind of came together. Um, and I was still working on the rules on the actual morning of the first show I did, and, and um, um, the the first show was was Phalanx in uh, in St Helens, uh, and I had uh, had a couple of um, e- eager uh, guinea pigs, and uh, a shout out to uh, Ben Berry, uh, Peter Berry's uh, son, who uh, who played played the game uh, with me, and it was it was very much embryonic, and it. It worked, but it didn't quite work as, as well as I wanted. So I had to kind of go back and refine it after after that first game. But I'd just been so tight with time that I hadn't been able to get uh, any kind of practice games in beforehand. But uh, I kind of knew that um, I, I, I wanted to I wanted to actually recreate the battle that you see in the movie. Um, so a- anybody that hasn't hasn't seen the movie, there there are going to be massive spoilers 
um, uh, definitely in, in, in this episode, as I kind of talk about all of the, the, the various kind of events that, that kind of come through. Um, and part of the reason I, w I wanted to do that was, was, well, you know, I've built a Scarif board. We need to refight Scarif. I, I've seen lots of other people kind of kind of do it. And there's lots of Legion stuff on on Scarif, but they they tend to be they tend to be points battles between rebel commandos and uh, Imperial troops. But so I thought, no, no, if, if, if we're going to do this, we'll 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 do we'll do the actual battle itself. Um, so I, I, I kind of, I kind of went into it knowing that, that in, in many ways, what it would be, would be a, a kind of a narrative battle. So, um, when I, when I did engine, um, I, I was providing kinds of objectives for, for everybody that was, was, was involved in that battle. It's a massively complex battle. There's many different phases and so on, but people people said that when they when they were playing it they found that the objective things were actually really good because there's so much to take in actually understanding what you're what you're kind of able to do and what you need to be doing is really kind of helpful this battle isn't anywhere near as complex as engine um but what i wanted it to be was was to to reflect um the actual battle of scarif as, as we see in the movie um i think it was also pretty clear that i um, I, I didn't want it to be rules heavy uh, and I didn't want um, the, the rules to really determine uh, the kind of kind of the battle. It, it wasn't really going to be down to terms tactics. I kind of wanted the decision making to be a little bit kind of higher up. Um, and, and again, I knew from from experience on, on running all the different participation games that I've, I've done that people aren't always able to spend a lot of time kind of playing the participation game. So I, I needed to be able to to um, run it so that people could drop in and drop out. Um, and certainly if I wanted to run a game, um, I, I needed to be kind of targeting 90 minutes as a as a length of a length of a game I, I don't think i've ever hit 90 minutes as a length of a game but I, i'm i'm trying as hard as possible to make it make it um uh, as quick as possible for the for the kind of the people that were playing it so um i i needed i needed to kind of um look at how how i could take a lot of the complexity out of out of any system just so that that people were, were doing stuff straightforward and I, to be fair i kind of make the joke to people that that you know i've taken all of the complexity out of out of this rule system it's just star wars we just all pew 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 and and, and so on. And there's there's a little bit of tongue in cheek about that but um there's there never seems to be a, a uh, an excess of tactical uh, now it's being deployed by by people in the Star Wars well, universe. So I, I would say I, I don't think I don't think rule simplicity, especially at like a participation game or like a gaming convention, can be. I I almost don't think something can be too simple because it's yeah. quite often you're like you're a bit tired, you might have had like 
a night before or whatever, you, you're in a rush and you are sort of like, I think quite, I know at least when I'm playing a participation game, I'm always playing it because I'm interested in the spectacle of whatever it is that looks, oh, this looks cool or this looks shiny. What do I do? And if basically it is a level of pew, 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 I'm far more happy than that. And so if someone, you know, if someone says like, right, here's your rules primer, yeah. go and sit in the corner there for half an hour, come back, there'll be a five point <laughs> quiz and a small essay question. <laughs> it's not really sort of my cup of tea. Um, I think having something as simple as possible, someone says what to do, what to do. And I think I just sort of say like from playing them both, like the engine game and this one, I, th I think I think I could definitely, I think, sort of see the narrative through line between the two. Because I know, um, like, I, I played the engine game, I think, towards the end of its travel journey, I think, when me and Ed came over to Warfare to, to play it. And something that really sort of, like, struck me with what you did with that was, although it is, like, a very complicated battle that's over, like, you know, multiple days with multiple sections and everything you had sort of like been able to sort of like break down the overarching complexity almost into like an hour by hour sort of turn by turn things like yeah. so if I, when me and they dropped in you were sort of able to like in like sort of like less than a minute sort of give us like this is what's happening now this is what you sort of need to do to sort of survive the next five minutes you're not sort of thinking over on like a a greater thing oh, this is the ultimate goal mm. but you're not sort of thinking well what am i going to do in six hours time when there's you know thousands and thousands of chinese running up the hill trying to poke me to death yes. it's not like well i'm not going to worry about eight o'clock tomorrow afternoon i'm worrying about the next 30 seconds uh, absolutely. now and I, I think you sort of did a, a very good job of explaining that was sort of happening on like a term by term basis. And that's also something that came very much through in the, the Scarif game. That again, when you were sort of playing it, you were sort of setting that, well, you know the overarching narrative of having seen the movie, but this is where we are at this like specific point. So if you're sort of dropping in, because I think it's something else that maybe a lot of people who don't realize it with participation games, it's not always possible to play a game from start to finish is it you sort of like i know yeah. i am a swine for it it's like you will play like the first two or three turns and then like i've now got to go yeah. or it's like you'll you'll drop in halfway through because it's you know i always go to shows because oh i'm going to play several games and then maybe play like one turn because you then sort of like run out of time i think i think with Skyrim, i think i played like about two turns before i had to sort of go into the panel or something so it's, it's just like I, and I suppose that making it so it's oh it's halfway through that you know if somebody drops out after 40 minutes you don't really want to sort of like have to reset and start again if you've got another player going but how can somebody else then sort of like making it easy enough so somebody else can then drop in and take off and we're like well you know Tom or Ed was rolling the dice for the first half you know it's a bit I, I know at the warfare weekend I think the Gloucesters did have a, a poor start after me and Ed were dice rolling for them <laughs> for that. but I think you I think uh, the takeaway was I've never seen anybody give them such a worse start uh, I think may have been a actual quote by Charles <laughs> so me and Ed play in tandem uh, to try and roll ones and twos um yeah but no but, but 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 was that did you try and 
like uh, have an idea of what is actually happening on that turn by turn basis so you can like give somebody the snapshot of boom this is what's happening right now absolutely that was the key takeaway that i i taken from from engine um the 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 other thing that that i kind of got from engine as well was that whilst engine was a very complicated battle the actual fighting was remarkably straightforward in that the chinese charged to the top of the hill and there was a defense at the costas but basically it was however many you men you've got you throw up that hill and the gloucesters will throw whatever they've got at them and hopefully survive survive the peace but actually it was it, it was still uh, a very tricky war game for people to play because they had decision making around which troops do i do which troops in what order do i do do i do these guys first or do i do, do those guys and the chinese player is it's kind of yeah i've sent my 10 guys up the hill and i don't have to worry about them anymore because most of them won't be alive in a minute but what i do need to worry about is making sure that there's another 10 guys i can chuck up the hill in a turn's time and another 10 guys the turn after and another 10 guys the turn after and so the chinese player was playing um i've got to keep my men kind of coming on a conveyor belt uh, and their decision making was very much about, well, I have four separate conveyor belts because I'm going for multiple hills and I'm going around here. So I need to move and, and, and adjust this and I need to decide I'm attacking that hill with the bulk of my forces or I'm attacking that one. Whereas the Gloucester player was kind of like, do I fire my artillery now or do I hold it in case something worse happens in a minute? Um, do I, do I uh, rally these troops or do I hope I can get another turn out of them? And, and so... What I, what I wanted again to do with the Scarif game was to move that decision making to to something that people could grasp a lot a lot better, which is where where and what am I doing now, as opposed to how am I doing it and 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 how excellently did I did I do that? So I wanted to move the decision making um, into into a kind of a um, that that next level up uh, and yeah people still get to roll dice and they still get to to fire and they get to pew 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 and, and and everything else but what i wanted to do was to get people at that higher level decision making because then i'm only asking them to make five or six decisions a turn whereas if i if i'm down at the tactical level then i might be asking them to make 20 or 30 decisions uh, uh in a turn and and I don't want anybody to feel cheated uh, in a game because they didn't understand the rules. Uh, and so it's kind of take that out as much as possible and, and just kind of bring it up a level. And then it's easier because they've got less to concentrate on. And actually those decisions are, are, are kind of more straightforward. So, so that, that I suppose was kind of, kind of the, the, the the kind of the vision that I kind of had as to the type of game that I was I was kind of wanting to run, but then then what what we kind of got to get into then was okay, so what what elements of the Battle of Scarif was I going to include, and what elements was I going to uh, either hand wave or exclude or um, kind of, kind of be treating as a as a dice roll. 
So, you know, um, uh, you know, you fire up YouTube and you watch the Battle of Scarif Ground battle on, on YouTube for for like the 30th time, but uh, and kind of kind of getting the idea. So, that, you know, there are some iconic things that people people are going to want in a Star Wars game. So stormtroopers. Yeah, we're going to have stormtroopers. Uh, well, we're going to chuck the shore troopers in because they 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 were cool. They were invented uh, for Rogue One. So yes, we can do that. Let's put those in. And yes, the death troopers are in there, and you know that that's fine. So we got that. Well, we're going to want rebel commandos because we actually want this to be the war a war game. So right, that's fine. But then you've got ATACTs, the the massive. Uh, cargo transports, which are just at-ats with a with a Rogue One twist on it, um, and you know they're huge and they're armored and they're trampling on trees and people and they're thirty meters high and they're scary. Well, if you've got if you if you're giving the Imperial player those things, which are practically impervious to ground forces, well, you've got to give them the X-wings that from Blue Squadron. So now we get X-Wings. Well, if we're having X-Wings, then we need TIE Fighters. So, okay, so I've got to kind of figure out a way of, of kind of getting that in. Um, and then you start thinking, right, well, we're starting to get quite a lot in here. So can we limit this? Can Are there other things that we need to add in? And it's kind of like... Well, the Battle of Scarif is very much driven by the actions of the, the heroes on Rogue One. So I, I knew really from the get-go that I wanted the heroes. Um, so I, I, I knew I would have to involve them. Um, again, the, the whole focus of the battle is obtaining the Death Star plans. Yeah, you know, so that's another element. So the focus of the game is obtain the Death Star plans. And then the other thing that we, we know, and, you know, spoiler alert, uh, Scarif gets destroyed. So the Death Star's got to make some kind of an appearance. Um, and then the next thing that we kind of understand about, about the battle is that Nobody that was involved in that battle understood the battle at the beginning. They they knew that, that the rebels knew that they were starting something. They knew they had to go in to the tower to, to get the plans, but they didn't know how they were going to do it. They didn't know what obstacles were in the way. They didn't know all of the kinds of the, the things that unfold and the events in the movie. And the Imperials are in an even worse situation. They don't even know that there are rebels on the planet. When the explosions start happening, they've no idea what's causing it or why. And and so basically, uh, I can have a battle here now. And I'm going to say to people, right, well, we're refighting Scarif, but I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do beyond you need to do this. This is step one. I'm not telling you how many steps there are. But this is what you need to do now. And you just need to do that as quickly as possible. And exactly the same for the Imperial player. This is kind of what's happening. This is kind of what you needed to do. So 
so that was that was what I knew needed to be kind of in 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 the battle. But then then the kind of the hard decisions kind of came in in that yes, I've gone and built all of this space structure, but actually it's going to play absolutely no part in the battle at all. Um, that is going to be hand waved. Um, there, there's so much happening that if I'd added more in, um, that was just going to be more complication. It was just going to be more time. And then, you know, my space battle is five feet above the table. And, you know, I might have six, seven, five, eight, nine-year-olds all trying to play this. And, you know, I, I don't want them having to be reaching up and looking up to all of this. So I, I knew very early on that it was going to play absolutely no part in the actual battle. It, it's There was no way I could get movement and, and, and so on. The stuff was just up there and it was it was just kind of a... Um, um, just just to kind of simulate that and, and remind people that there was there was kind of a space battle and, and again there was going to be nothing about the shield gate that wasn't going to happen it was going to be there the star destroyers were going to be created there they're crashing together but I, i'm not doing the star the star destroyer actually crashing into the gate it's going to be no rules for that it, it, it's it's taken um i think the other thing that that was also very clear is is that terrain played almost no no part in the actual battle itself yeah they're running amidst all of these uh kind of tropical um forests um but they seem to quite happily splish splash across um uh, the sea between all of the various islands and um you know the atats can the atats can uh, they're, they're taller than the trees. They're twice as tall as the trees. They can just stand on them. So there's, there, there doesn't seem to be any any need to kind of limit movement. So basically, great, fantastic. I, I don't have to worry about different move speeds and, and stuff like that. Once once you've established how fast something moves, that's how fast it moves. It's great. It's it's sort of you know, uh, that that's that's fantastic. And then the the kind of the next thing. Uh, that I, I I decided is uh, there'd be no combat in the tower itself. So I, I you know I've spent the best part of three months building this tower <laughs> with all its attendant details or whatever. Um, and um, the closest any rebel troops have got, uh, to the outskirts of the tower, which is two feet across, is probably about six inches away from it. So I, I built I built this entire tower, and actually, actually, almost one complete board that that never sees any fighting on it at all. Uh, but uh, it again, it, it's it's one of those it's one of those things that kind of surprises people. Um, the the imperial player is always is always asking. How do I stop the rebels getting into the tower? And then the rebel players are always asking me, "How do I get my troops into the tower?" And it's like, "Don't worry about that. You, you don't need to do that." So, so I kind of, I kind of narrowed it down, and yep, we're just dealing with 
four different types of infantry, three, three Imperial and, and, and one Rebel. We've got ATATs as the only vehicles, and then we've got some, we've got some uh, spaceships, and it's like, right, okay. And then I need to do something with heroes. So that, that's okay. I, 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 can, I can kind of build from that. So, so that kind of gave me um, a kind of sense of what I wanted to get involved and how I kind of want to get it involved. And it was then, right, well, where do, where do we go from here? And how do I build a, a kind of coherent game around it? So, um, again, the other thing I kind of knew, again, almost from the get-go, was that I was going to be using uh, a variant of All Hell Let Loose uh, that my friend David David Vosilevsky wrote. Um, it's a six-mil World War II rule system. Um, but uh, and, uh, shocking admission that might get me thrown out of, of war games clubs everywhere. It's the only rule set I know uh, with uh, any degree of uh, detail and confidence. Um, but it, it had it has a number of key advantages that I kind of really wanted um, uh, to kind of leverage. So, so the f first one was was it was a, a kind of a dice out of the bag activation system. Uh, so the last thing you want to be doing when you're running a participation game, is say to somebody, yeah, great, please rock up, come along, uh, play this game. Um, I'll, I'll fill you in on where we are, but you just need to wait for about 35 to 40 minutes yeah. because the other players are currently moving. Yeah, or take all your top, take, see these toys that you wanted to play with, they've now died before you've got a chance to play with them, you've now just got the dross left. Bingo, absolutely. So, so I, I, I wanted people to be involved at, at every stage, and, and it, uh, and in the kind of games that I'm running, and in this one in particular, it, it, it's great because uh, the further on into the game you go, uh, the colour of the dice that comes out the dice bag has has massive importance uh, in, in in this game in particular. But you know, I'll talk about that when, when we talk about kind of how how the game actually plays out. But th there is genuine tension sometimes as to as to which dice comes out the bag, and there are groans and cheers um, that, that 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 kind of kind of come out. Well, that's the that's that that's the joy of. Like the dice pool mechanic, isn't it? And I will die on the hill that I think it's one of the best mechanics in any game. I do not know of a single game that I've ever played that uses a, a like a dice draw, like a dice out the bag, like activation mechanic, that isn't better for using that mechanic. Yeah. And I, I I know so many games which would be much better if they had a dice draw mechanic and to be honest it's something that we have a number of games that we play we've just added into it well that's how you go rather yeah. than like a roll off or whatever you know just draw a dice it's just it makes every it can make things unbalanced if you go well there's we've each got five or six dice in the bag you've drawn all four first 
But then it balances out. Well, yeah, you've gone nearly, you've nearly had a full turn. Yeah. I've now got four or five days, but it makes it means you're involved in every time. So even if you sat there, you're not going like oh, I'm just going to log off for the next ten minutes. But yeah, it does. It has that. It's quite often you can end up being well, like, what's the least worst decision to, to, to sort of make now? So I really couldn't have. I really could have done with not doing anything for like a turn or two. Or like, brilliant. Um, yeah. No. So I, I think that's also really useful. And just think else to. Um, a, a comment you said the other day, uh, a little bit back when you were sort of saying about how, like, you decided on like the infantry and the heroes, uh, and that sort of thing. I think it, it is something that definitely is like a, it's a, it's a key feature of Star Wars in and of itself as the entire genre. Is sort of like, does anybody prominent ever get like? It's almost like it's always the heroes do everything, isn't it? It's yeah. like, every, like all the, everybody else. It's almost just there, a sort of set dressing, but especially like in Rogue One, every hero, or like the entire of almost like everybody in the squad gets their like set piece yes. sort of thing. You know, it's very much like the samurai films, or like something like Dirty Dozen that sort of thing. They all get their sort of like set piece, so yeah. go off. But even then, when you've got like, but I think that also then that like flows in to the vehicles and like the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters and that, they're still sort of like one-on-ones, aren't they? So you could, did you sort of think of them, actually, these are really just going to kind of be like one-on-one duels with, they're just basically a different kind of figure, but they're going to function basically the same as a normal stand. Yeah, so so that that's the kind of thing that kind of morphed after the, uh, and, and, you know, I, I kind of tweaked and, and came, and I've kind of settled on a, on a piece. But yes, um, and I mean, you know, I, I, every time somebody joins the game, I go, right, have you seen the movie? And, and you know, they go, yes, yes. I, I think I, I think everybody I've played with has seen the movie, uh, which is which is great. Um, 95 percent of people that come and talk to me have seen the movie. Um, um, and, and so it's like fine you just really kind of need to know what what happens in the movie to kind of kind of know what happens and and so yes one of one of the key things is is that yes um the the acts arrive and then as soon as the acts arrive then the x-wings arrive and then as soon as the x-wings arrive then the tie fighters arrive so it is it is kind of one of those so the, the way i kind of looked at that is is right I I kind of I kind of have my turns and so there's kind of like a reinforcement schedule and so I kind of kind of based based the arrival of um, uh, the key elements and you know I kind of kind of did it on a on a uh, a turn turn basis. Um, but what I'm still relying on is the dice to come out of the bag for things. And then people are still given free reign as to kind of what they do with that stuff when it appears. So I, I can kind of run through the options and, and so on. And, you know, um, it, it is astoundingly obvious very quickly that infantry can't really damage the AT ACTs. So 
the rebel player would be insane not to attack the ATACTs with with their X-wings, and equally the Imperial player would be insane not to attack the X-wings with his Tie Fighters. Um, so it's it's kind of it's kind of um, one of those rock kind of paper scissors, except maybe you know there's there's there's. Well, there's I, I, I think I think the, the, the wargaming analogy I think is like the, the gentlemanly sniper duel, isn't it? It's like yeah. what did what did your sniper end up doing this game? Well, he was involved in like a very sporting competition, trying to shoot the other sniper, and that's basically what they did all game. Um, I, I have to say that rather rather surprisingly, uh, there are five AC uh, AT ACTs on the table, and the rebel player gets five. X wings and Y wings, uh, and then the Imperial player gets five Tie Fighters. <laughs> uh, you know, so yes, um, it, it is. It is kind of, kind of, kind of done that way. And, and you know, so at, at some point the Imperial player brings out the ATACTs. The next turn the X wings arrive, and it's usually the first thing that the Rebel player does is activate them and then send them in to attack the. ATACTs, and then the turn after the Imperials get their their uh, Tie Fighters, and then when, whoever goes first initiates an air duel between the uh, uh, the Tie Fighters, and then the turn after that, uh, I take both the X Wings and the Tie Fighters out of the game. We just kind of leave them on the table, and we just say, right now they're now they're dog fighting, and and they they play no further part in the game. So. Um, that that kind of it's kind of um, it's really great because the imperial player gets to do something with their AT ACTs and they feel really powerful and cool because they go in and they 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 stomp and stonk and they're feeling right great I'm getting a hang of this game now and then the X wings arrive and the rebel players going yeah I destroyed three out of his AT ACTs yeah now I'm I, you know I've re-established dominance on the battlefield. It's great. And then the TIE fighters arrive and then it's uh, the Imperial player feels, right, I've stabilised things. And then he finds out just how bad TIE fighters are in, in dogfights. Um, so there, there is this this kind of piece that that um, everybody gets their, their little bit of a moment in the in the sun when 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 those kind of, kind of things come out. Um, is that also a... Does that also function as a way of the kind of like speeding the game along though? Like the ATCs come in, kill off quite a few dudes, <laughs> get, you know, there's some dice out of the bag. The TIE fighters then come and take some of them out. And then especially at then it's just, you then like retire the whole air duel sort of pot. Sort of like after a couple of turns, it's, it's sort of gone. Is that a way of sort of then helping to strip it down to focus it more than on that heroic battle where it's sort of got rid of some of the chaff uh, so to speak i, I you, you know i would like to say that that's kind of what happens but but it, it, it isn't it isn't quite um because um um uh, the, the the way the game works is is we divide the forces into into groups um uh, you, you know we call them formations in the rules but essentially it's it's kind of like an activation group and you can have 
six uh, in, in 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 the Scarab game. There are six stands max in in any in any group. Um, and what that what happens is is every time you pull out of a, uh, the dice out bag, you get to move one of your groups. Once you've moved it, you you can't move it again. Um, and the rebels. The rebels, and, and again, it varies by turn, but the rebels start off with with two groups of rebel commandos, uh, and they but they get three dice in the bag. Uh, I'll come to kind of why later, but basically they've got two two groups that they're they're kind of kind of doing something with. And again, the imperials start off with three dice in the bag, and they've got uh, three groups. They've got some. Uh, mixed force of stormtroopers um they've got another mixed force of stormtroopers and they've, they've got some atsts um but in the second turn and the rebels get a dice for the x-wings but the the imperials get another dice so they get more stormtroopers and then the turn after for the imperials they get another dice but they get tie fighters and then the turn after that the Imperials get another dice, but they don't have the TIE Fighters. So suddenly they're getting a lot more uh, kind of drowned troops. Uh, but the Rebels are still on still on three dice turn because they've still only got two groups. Um, they've still, uh, they haven't got X-Wings now, so they, their dice kind of goes back. So so what, what starts off as a, uh, the Rebels get to choose where they attack, how they attack, uh, and they've got greater numbers that are deployed and in the right places, and so they can really take the attack to the Imperials. What starts to happen is the Imperials start to get more and more and more troops, and the Rebels start being seriously outnumbered and outmaneuvered. And so um, what I'm what I think I suppose I'm trying to do with the way that that the ACTs and the X-Wings and so on is is bring them in. Let's have a little bit of fun with them, but then get them out of the way, because actually the serious battle is actually being fought on the ground on the table. And so what what I started to think about then is, is, is well, how, how do you win this? What what's what's the essential bit um, that that we, we're kind of doing, and what what's my framework for what the battle looks like? So, so we know we know the battle ends with the planet blowing up, or at least the the um, Scarif Citadel Tower and everybody that we're interested in in the movie um, that survives is blown up by the Death Star. So. What I then did was right. Well, let's create a little bit of tension. Let's force the action. So I created a Death Star tracker. So I just I, I saw six images of the Death Star in various stages of construction and and operation off the internet. So you start with one where it's like half built. The next one where they're, they're putting the community uh, the the focus array. Uh, into into the Death Star, and then there's another one where it's uh, emerging from space, and then another one where it's getting closer, and and so basically we have a we have these six images, and that 
that basically is my turn tracker. When we start on turn one, and everybody knows that at the start of turn six, and it's very clear, it's right at the start of turn six, there's no turn six, it's literally the start of turn six, the Death Star blows the planet up. So that that gives me something to kind of kind of build to. And I know I'm looking at a five turn structure. So what I did then was, OK, um, what are the victory conditions? So the rebels win by sending the Death Star plans off planet. That is the only way that they win, and they have to do that before the Death Star blows the planet up. The Imperials can win if they prevent the rebels from doing that, or if they eliminate all of the rebel commandos that appear in the game. So basically, we're bringing it back and saying, right, now this is this, this for the Imperial player is a proper war game. Their job is eliminate the enemy. And the Rebel player has a lot more to kind of worry about and think about, but basically uh, that's it. So what you, what you tend to find happens in the game is the Rebels come in, they get a start where they get to place 12 explosions somewhere on the table. Uh, they get a, a certain move distance that they can do and they can place the explosion and then move their their stand and the, you know they only get 12, 12 stands of infantry. So they put those on, they put the explosions on and literally once the rebel player has gone, I've done all of my movement and placed all of my explosives, that is the start of turn one and basically we go, right, everything's kind of exploded. Uh, where do we go from here? And we start drawing dice out of the bag. Um, and that that is kind of the start. And there's only something like um, six or uh, seven uh, Imperial stands actually on the table. So the, the rebel player with his 12 suddenly starts attacking these Imperial troops. And then some stormtroopers start appearing as the Imperials push them out. And the Imperial, uh, the, again, the rebel player tends to be quite cocky at this stage. And so they'll send their soldiers in to attack some of these stormtroopers that arrive and then they'll find out that the stormtroopers are actually uh, pretty tough and uh, you know everybody starts taking taking damage and they start losing things and then gradually as the game goes on um, the the rebel player goes from oh I'm going to do some attacking to actually I'm going to go on to the defensive and if they haven't by by the start of turn five, uh, then they 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 kind of learn very quickly in turn five that actually what they need to be doing right now is running, and so you 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 start the game with with an imperial player who's trying to react and doesn't know quite what to do and doesn't have many troops and is is um, trying to do a lot with very little to ending with he's got loads of troops and he's desperately trying to to maneuver them all into the right positions and he's he's sweeping down and he's hunting the last two or three rebel stands um, and a rebel player that has gone from being cock-a-hoop to being um, 
defensive to being concerned to being outright scared and and running and so that there's there's this change over the five turns as, as kind of people kind of go through uh with the piece and, and you know again that kind of follows what you see on the movie screen is that first the rebel commandos are great uh but then they take their casualties and, and, and so on so that that kind of that kind of is is the way that that we manage the uh, the battle and um, what I kind of did with the with the rules again was I, I, I literally scrubbed out two thirds of the modifiers for for things. Uh, I got rid of morale. I got rid of activation. Uh, I, I took out as much complexity as I possibly could. It's kind of like everybody knows on the Rebel Commando side that they're on a suicide mission. So, you know, morale is not relevant. Um, when the guys are running, it's not because they're scared. It's because they're trying to, it's tactically, um, it, it's, it's tactically viable. So, you know, there's no need to bring morale into it. There's no need to bring breakpoints into it. There's, it doesn't matter. These guys are going to carry on fighting. They, they know what they're doing. On the other side, you've got Imperial stormtroopers who are, if they are told to walk into the Valley of the Shadow of Death, they will walk into the Valley of Shadow of the Death and then do it a second time and a third time. So again, I don't worry about morale from a from an Imperial point of view either. It, it's it's just not relevant. I take, took out all of the firing factors that I possibly could. Um, I took out uh, anything that involved sequencing so in, in some of the rules there are certain things does this first then that happens and then it's counter that i just took it all out I said any time that there's action then it's simultaneous between whoever's involved in that action and that's mostly around close assault so and again i took out 90 percent of of the factors and, and kind of kind of um did that uh, you got really simple stat blocks for everything Again, because of the rule system, it, it's brilliant. No need to kind of mess with that. And I just came up with some very simple stats. And people kind of know that stormtroopers are a little bit harder than, than regular troopers. And everybody knows that death troopers are just immeasurably scarier and harder for that. So that was fine. Very easy to do that. Very easy to create the stats for the um, ATATs. Very easy to create stats for the uh, aerial vehicles. Again, all very, very straightforward and just minimised it as much as possible. And, and most people aren't really interested in, in that. Uh, and when we're running the games, it's usually just me going, right, well, you know, if you roll a five, you'll hit, or if you roll a three, you'll hit. And this is kind of kind of what, and I don't want people getting into the minutiae of all of that. Again, that's the decision making that I don't want them doing. What I want them doing is thinking, Am I pushing forward? Am I pulling back? Am I moving these guys first? Am I moving those guys? Who do I attack with my X-Wings? Where do I kind of go with that? That's the decision-making I want. So I kind of provide a lot of the uh, of, of the, the kind of numbers in. I just use the rule system as, as, as a kind of a framework for me to dictate what actually happens and for people to kind of understand quite quickly how powerful and, and, and things are. So, so that that bit is kind of straightforward. But then I had the heroes and it was like, right. So originally when I when I did this, what I really wanted was I wanted 
the figures. Uh, I wanted a figure that represented each each one of the heroes from from Rogue One, so that I could I could kind of use them. Um, and, and you know, I found somebody that did it. Unfortunately, he still has my hundred and something pounds and has not produced the figures. Um, and one day I'll get over that. Um, but um, I, I didn't have the figures. And then, and then there's part of me kind of going right. Uh, okay, well, um, this is a six mil game. Do I really want six really small figures that that are going to be on a on on a very cluttered uh, board that's six foot by four foot and covered in trees, and people are going to spend all their time wandering around trying to find um, all of these heroes in order to be able to do something with? So I decided, no. We'll, we'll hand wave their physical presence. Um, and what, what I did then was just, um, um, I got some flashcards, blank flashcards, and then uh, I just printed printed out uh, the movie stills of, of each of the heroes. And what I decided was, was that um, they would have uh, a minor effect uh, each each hero would have a minor effect, so I wrote down um, two kind of effects for, for for each hero. One that was kind of tactical, and then one that related to the uh, overall uh, objective of uh, obtaining the plans. And so, um, every time a dice comes out of the bag then the rebel player gets to choose one of their heroes and say, this turn, my hero is going to do this and is going to influence uh, the game in, 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 in an individual way. So, uh, they, you know, they start off with all six of, um, of the heroes with, with all of their kind of special abilities. And, you know, there's some interesting stuff where they can move enemy troops, they can move their own troops, they can take some some damage off troops, um, they can add modifiers into assaults. Um, you know, all kinds of nothing, nothing overpowering, and definitely not my hero rocks up. Uh, everybody within six inches dies. It's it's nothing like that. It's just a nice little kind of thing that happens and, and it just allows every turn um, that they're, they're kind of able to do something really nice and cool. Um, so, so is that, sorry to put in there Charles, is, is that means does each hero get to operate every turn or is it each hero gets to operate once per game? Or is so, like Yeah, so um, every hero gets to operate each of the five turns of the battle but you can only operate your hero uh or one hero when a dice comes out of the bag and it can be uh an imperial dice or it can be a rebel dice it doesn't matter okay so 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 yep yeah, so like if the character is able to then like say maneuver the enemy force enemy troops to move about yes they can potentially move five unit they can move five they can move they make the enemy move five times if they wanted to during the course of the game during the course of the game but if they stay alive yeah the hero can never can never um um 
it can only be activated once until the Death Star gets a little bit closer. So, um, so once you've used your hero uh, in that particular uh, Death Star um, uh, sequence, it can't be used a second time. So there is. Yeah, so there is they're just like a, a re, they're a replenishing resource. Then, like each new turn, you get more back. Yes. Um, so, uh, and it's it's a little bit kind of kind of it's just a little bit kind of fun and it keeps the heroes kind of involved in the game and then obviously we've talked about the the ground battle but actually there's there's the infiltration so the infiltration of Scarif Tower is where the fundamental action in the movie uh, takes place you know the Death Star plans are within that tower in order to get into the tower, uh, they have to get some stormtroopers out of the tower. So the opening of, of the movie is the rebel commandos go out and place a whole bunch of explosives. So um, on uh, turn one, the rebel instructions are blow up as much as you possibly can in order to get Imperials to come out of the tower and investigate. That will then clear the path to let the infiltration team get get to the data vault. Exactly what happens in the movie. So that's the rebel instructions in turn one. Once once they've done that, they're then told they can get stage two, but they're not told what stage two is. Those explosions are the start of the game. So at that point, I hand the imperial player his instructions and I'm really horrible to the Imperial player because the Imperial player's instructions are investigate every single rebel explosion. <laughs> uh, quite conveniently, um, the um, um, Imperial player has uh, a number of stormtrooper and shore trooper uh, groups available, each of which contains six. And I tell him that he has to deploy his infantry to those um, explosions before he can do anything else. So uh, I'm, I'm really horrible to the Imperial player because I force the Imperial player to meet the rebel objectives on turn one. Um, but to be fair, the Imperial uh, orders in turn one are called deploy the garrison, which is the key phrase uttered by um, and, and again, um, I give the Imperial player a hero, which is Director Krennic. Uh, they only get one. But again, Director Krennic can do a couple of things. He can he can move some of his own troops um, and he can he can he can do something else. But that's kind of kind of kind of the piece. So the Imperial player is desperate to get his um, infantry out, A, because I've given him orders, and B, because I've told him that as soon as he's moved his rebel infantry out, he can move his at uh, which, you know, everybody wants to do. So that kind of happens. And, and, you know, again, it's one of those where in the in the first turn, the, the rebel player doesn't know it, but what he really wants is Imperial dice to come out of the dice bag first, because if the rebel dice come out, he can't advance to the next stage of his objectives. So 
Uh, there has, there has, I think there was one of the games I played where actually the first three dice out of the pack were all rebel. And it was kind of like, oops. But, you know, that's kind of what happens. Um, so as soon as the uh, Imperials have their second turn, then they've taken 12 troops out of, out of the tower. And I then hand the, the rebel player their, their next card. So basically their next card tells them, uh, that what they need to do is access the data vault, um, which again you kind of see in the movie. Uh, so you've got Jin, you've got Cassian Andor, and you've got K2 uh, SO, uh, and they go and access the data vault. And it's kind of like, how am I going to kind of do that? And right again, back at the beginning, in in order to make my life even more complicated, what I thought was was that what I would do would take be able to take the back off my tower and what I would do would be create um, three dioramas that are on different levels in the tower. So uh, I would have recreated uh, Canary Wharf tube station which is where you see all of the stormtroopers running around inside the tower. I would recreate the data vault and then I would recreate um, uh, the actual uh, data storage racks that you again see in the movie. Um, and because a, it, it was insanely complicated and uh, would have been very, very difficult and I ran out of time and also because I, I didn't get all of the character figures that I needed, um, there was no point kind of, kind of creating all of that. So with that, I decided well, things like accessing the data vault, um, obtaining the plans, transmitting the plans was actually just going to be done off a dice roll. So what I, what I uh, allow the rebel player to do is to use one of his activation dice to make a dice roll to see if they can access the plans, if, if they can they could basically move the infiltration team on. So we kind of abstract the infiltration team simply because there's, there's no other real way of wargaming it or whatever. So we just abstract that. And I just make it a very simple uh, roll four, five or a six on a D6 and you succeed. Um, if you fail, you can't get, you don't get another roll until the Death Star gets a little bit closer and you have to wait for another dice to come out of the back. Okay, and at, uh, and at this point, um, they start to notice that actually some of the heroes uh, actually have skills and abilities that you can use to to uh, improve your odds when you're doing the infiltration. So K2SO, the robot, the droid, gives a plus one on the roll to uh, access uh, and unlock the data vault because that's what he does in the movie. So um, hopefully at that point the rebel player hasn't played him in it at any other point. And again, I stress to players, if you remember what happens in the movie, then this is what will happen in the game. So we kind of do that. So th that way he can modify it and turns it from a one or a two to a three, four, five or a six. Uh, you, you know, so. It, it kind of shifts the odds in their favours. And usually, uh, I would say about 80 to 90% of the time, that's kind of where we end turn one, is that the rebel players have had a role 
at trying to access the data vault. Um, and that's when the bad news hits them, because what I do then is, is we move the Death Star tracker on. And uh, unfortunately, at that point, uh, they have to choose one of their rebel heroes that sadly became one with the force uh, because everybody dies. So I kind of make the rebel player choose one of their one of their heroes. Uh, and so the rebels start turn two with only five heroes instead of six. And again, the, the players are kind of asked to think about it. Uh, and again, if they've seen the movie and they kind of know what happens and they can they can make some appropriate choices. And and, and so that's kind of what happens. So we kind of go through the game, going through each of the stages. Uh, so each of the key events. And I think there were uh, I think when I wrote it down, there were like 14 or 15 events that are kind of occur in the movie and every single one of those kind of occurs in some way uh, in the game. So, you know, there are rebel reinforcements that land from a U-wing. There are death troopers deployed and and so on. So all of that kind of happens. Um, but what I don't do is um, uh, I don't kind of dictate where that happens and, and, and so on. Um, and I don't kind of reveal what's coming. And if the rebel player fails a second time on the on the dice roll to to achieve an infiltration success, um, then I allow them to automatically succeed, but at the cost of sacrificing yet another member of the Rogue One crew uh, to achieve a success. So nobody ever gets stuck for turn after turn after turn because of their lousy dice rolls. So we always kind of advance it on, but um, it, it kind of kind of moves. And then halfway through the battle, um, after they've accessed the data vault, uh, the rebels are are told they actually have to capture uh, an imperial barracks of the rebel uh, of the imperials to to make the communication out to the um, to the fleet again all part of in the movie and so at this point um, the, the rebel player is currently is, is just knocked for six because they're kind of conducting this regular battle and trying to run around and maneuver and then suddenly they've got to pivot and run troops over and grab something and um and, and capture it but again the imperial player is never told that just suddenly happens and in all of the games I've run, no Imperial player has ever understood what what was happening at any time. And so they can't plan for it. And generally, they can't react to it. Um, and I think at the last show, somebody was out going, oh, they're bound to know what we're doing. They, they must know what they're doing. And I just turned to the Imperial player and said, what, what's the rebel objective at the moment? And he went, I have no idea. <laughs> I suppose that's, that's, I think it's one of the, 
the cool things are that when you're playing games, isn't there? Sometimes like you can be playing like historical gaming. And it's like even if you're doing like a game that's more of like a simulation that you know exactly what happens, but it's like I completely forgot that, that happened. Or it's like yeah. what's your object? You sort of get sort of like either like railroaded into what you're doing, or it's like so confused. It's like I have no no clue what's going. On. But does that um, when you were running the game? Did you, with the reinforcements and that sort of thing, did you have a little bit of leeway in what was deployed to keep the game more balanced? Or were you sort of like, no, this could end up, if like the Imperial player rolls really well and the Rebel player rolls badly, they could all be dead. They, they, they it, it, it could not go down, to, it could be like game over by turn three, yeah. realistically. Or did you fudge it a little bit as the like, the game, because I think it's very much kind of like a game that you are running almost as like a game master slash yeah. judge, aren't you? So, so, so did you keep it? Was like purposely like both sides have sort of got skin in the game until nearer the end, or were you? No. Reinforcements are. are I'm going to reinforce failure, and yeah. tough luck. So, so I kind, I kind of influence the game at the at the start so when the rebel player is instructed to place his his 12 explosions he he can't play he has to place them at at uh, specific terrain features uh, and it turns out that that in order to place all 12 of his thing he has to scatter to all all ends of the board really uh, and I, I emphasised to the rebel player that his his survival in the game rests on him having troops. So he knows that that is the the, the victory condition. And I and I I remind the imperial players in front of the rebel player repeatedly kill kill the enemy. And and actually the the imperial orders from 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 basically turn two onwards are kill the enemy. There are some other things that Director Krennic has to do in response to rebel advancement up the infiltration tower, but fundamentally the Imperial instructions remain kill the enemy all the way through the game. So um, what I do is I restrict the ability of the Imperials to to actually manoeuvre. So again, there are all of these islands that are kind of spread across the board and they're all kind of linked. And, and there are some very minor rules about how you transport between one and the other. But what I say to the Imperial player is, is that once you've moved six stands on an island, you can't move anything on that island for the rest of the game, uh, for, that, for that turn until the Death Star gets a little bit more um uh, uh, further towards uh it's it's inevitable uh, arrival and, and and so on so and the rebel player understands that uh and it just kind of reflects the confusion that the imperials are under is that they can't they can't take all seven of their formations in the fifth turn and just all run one place they they can't do that so um i i kind of control how the battlefield looks and i don't think we've ever gone i don't think the imperials have ever won in turn four i think the rebels won once in turn four um 
but the the Imperials have never won uh, in turn four. Uh, they've won fairly early on in turn five a couple of times, um, but um, uh, they've they've never been able to uh, to do it earlier. So um, I, I've been I, either of either it, it is quite balanced or I've been remarkably lucky. I I I I, I couldn't tell you because I I can't I can't say I spent a lot of time doing the probabilities on things. I kind of sucked it and saw um but some of the things that kind of do arrive so the rebels get uh six stands of reinforcements uh, for their infantry and they arrive with um the x-wings and it's usually at that point that they know that they have to take a barracks and so they generally get to drop their reinforcements quite close to a barracks and uh, you know so so it's it's usually not that much of a problem, um, and so things kind of kind of work out fairly well. But again, I think I think the movie does a really good job of of not overwhelming the viewer with a thousand things happening. So if something comes on, it dies. You move on. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of sort of like almost like. The illusion of choice, but still giving like the player choice. You say like they're like, oh, you've got to put it on these terrain features. They've got to put these twelve explosions down. You've only got like thirteen or fourteen of those terrain features. It's like you're basically telling them where the players thinking that they're putting them down, but you're basically telling them. I, I really like the idea of like you're kind of on rails, but you don't. You, you start like hiding the rails, but you're sort of like on, on rails. I, I think that's a really clever idea. I know that I, I think it's something that I think most games, even not even like a participation games, needs that. I think it needs some of that kind of structure because yes. otherwise it's just what are you doing? Yes, I have no I, I, clue or it just things get bogged down or it's just they just take like especially like big games. It's why something like a game of apocalypse takes like a weekend to play and yeah. you end up uh, halfway to turn two because it's just. This, there is no railroading so actually this is what you're trying to do do it yeah i mean this is this is the thing you know somebody's rocking up they've never played anything like this before they just know that the, the board looks cool they just know it's star wars it's going to be cool they're, they're just there for the game you know the last thing you want to do is go right what do you want to do uh, because it's just decision paralysis at that point that they they know that they might not be staying for very long, and actually people are people are you know most players that that stay for a turn or two apologise to me before they leave because they clearly feel that they've they've failed and they've handed over some dreadful situation to whoever's <laughs> going to take up take over after them, and, and it and it's you know it's not true that that you know they they they've done absolutely. <coughs> Absolutely, as well as could possibly be expected. I, I'm I'm setting a, a lot of that, and and yes, uh, it, it is the illusion of choice. Um, to be fair, when the imperial uh, sorry, when the rebels are placing the twelve explosions, the explosions are where kind of always go to more or less the same twelve spots. But the infantry in quite a lot of them still has movement left so i give him a certain range that he can kind of move so he can drop off the explosion and then move so 
kind of where they kind of leave it is is kind of up to them. Um, and so it, it is that there's there's some freedom, but you've got to be you've got to be really careful um, in giving in giving people so much that that they become unable to function. And, and you know, it's fine if you're if you're running a game with a really popular rule set that everybody kind of knows, and somebody's rocking up, and and you're kind of doing it, and there's you know, and it's more or less rules as written. That's fine, but I'm never never doing that. I'm I'm doing this scenario or a narrative piece. And it's a rule set but, that anybody's ever played. Even that, when like even when it's a rule set, people know backwards. It either then has to be like one of those rule sets where it's like a telephone directory, because yeah. like every single parameter is in there, yeah. or it's like, well, <laughs> this specific thing isn't in there. How do you play, or how does your club play? And especially if it's like an event, you'll be well. Well, we play it like this, and somebody yes. on the other side will be like, "Well, how we play is like diametrically opposed to how you are perceiving that rule." You know, you gamey swine. And Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, what do you think is what sort of these sort of shenanigans? Um, so no, I I think it it sounds like perfectly. I think it sounds like the I think it, especially something that's like so complicated in the fact that you've got like so many different parts going on. And you're trying to make it play. I said you, you you're trying you're aiming for that sort of like ninety minute play then, like playtime thing to try yeah. and get it played quickly. Because the thing like it would be very easy to go, Oh, you've got six turns. Each turn takes ninety minutes. Yes. So away you go. And I know like I play like a number of games where like, yeah, each turn takes like over an hour, which is no good for anything like, and I suppose it's again yeah. was, was that sort of like more influenced by again so like i know with the career game like really you play if you were like a three game show you played like the, each day of the game was the show didn't you? so it kind of took you the full three day week like a long weekend yeah to run like one cycle of the game didn't it so like it did no one ever got like if you missed 10 o'clock on day one in the narrative of the game it's like well come and pick it up at another show yeah so, uh, it, it it's definitely it's, it's definitely an element what, what i've found what i've found with this game is that once people start most people stick to the end it's been it's been really really good because um most people uh have i i, I the last show uh york that an attack uh i actually had uh i think three different sets of people playing through one game uh but at, at partisan and at leeds uh i managed to get a game through uh in the morning and a game through in the afternoon um so uh, and 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 again people kind of kind of stayed stayed through with that and uh, it's been really, really nice. Um, at Leeds, there were a couple of guys that, that came up to me and said, yep, uh, we've come specially for your game. We knew you were coming. We didn't know what you were doing, but we knew you would put in a game on and we played the game last year and that was really good. So we've, we've come to do that one. And then uh, at Partizan, I've had people that have played played with my games before, and and at York, 
uh, I, I've had people that, that have paid, and I think some of the guys at York ha had paid the last two or three of my games because uh, I was I was checking through some photos later, and yeah, I could see them at, 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 at different games going back. So it's it's been really really nice that that's kind of happened. And what what's really really great is because the game is fairly straightforward and, and fairly simple and, and and so on that by the time people have completed their second turn. They're actually right up on the rules. They they know what's kind of happening. I just need to tell them this is how many dice you're getting. This is the these are the forces this turn. Go for it. And and they actually start to understand the combat mechanics because you know they tend not to vary. So people are, are starting to roll dice without me needing to be there, which is which is absolutely great. And the reason it took uh, the entire day at York to run through one game is because. You have to spend half an hour babysitting people through each turn, um, and because I've got three different sets of people, I had to do it three different times. Whereas I only have to do it normally once, so that was that was kind of really good. Uh, and what what turn tends to be, you know, we were saying earlier that that we tend not to have uh, the the Imperials have never managed to win in 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 turn four. So we tend to get into turn five and turn, turn five is always crunch. It's the last turn. Everybody knows it's the last turn. And usually at that stage, the rebels need one, one dice to come out of the bag and they're going to try and transmit the Death Star plans. That's, that's what they're trying to do. And it's just at this point that, that it becomes problematic because they've probably got somewhere between two and five stands of, of, of their rebel commandos left on the table. And those probably all got damage on them. And they've only got three dice in the bag. And the Imperial players got seven dice in the bag at this stage. And so they are being hunted down and they are literally running uh, and have been um, for a bit trying to just stay stay out of hand-to-hand out of -hand combat with the Imperials. And when that when that rebel dice comes out of the bag then then everything kind of comes down to that dice roll um because they know if it's the first time they're on that dice roll then they know they're only getting this dice roll to decide the fu the fate of the game so everybody suddenly starts getting really really interested in in this game and then it's at that point you know they've lost at least four heroes at this point so they might only have two left. And it's at this point that they're starting to regret some of their earlier choices. And they really, really need, um, uh, they really, really need Cassie and Andor to be alive at this stage in the game. And on something like 60 to 70% of the games, Cassie and Andor is in the first two to be killed. And kind of the reason for that is, is that they have to transmit the plans. So the Imperial player at that point play their hero. And Director Krennic imposes a minus one penalty on rebels attempting to transmit the plans. So this is when he goes up onto the top of the Scarif Tower and he shoots Jin Erso. And she is wounded but not killed 
and just as Krennic is about to kill her, the uh, unconscious and believed to be dead Cassie and Andor rises from out of the tower and shoots Krennic. And so Cassie and Andor's second special ability is the ability to negate an Imperial intervention. And so the Imperial player goes, aha, minus one on your roll. And then if the rebel player is smart, it goes, aha, cancelled. And then the look on the Imperial player's face is, oh, man. Or more likely what happens is I turn over the dead Cassian Andor uh, uh, card and hand it to the rebel player who goes, oh, I shouldn't have killed him then, should I? <laughs> uh, um, and so you come down to that, that, that kind of last dice roll and there is palpable tension usually because it, it, it is it, it's a win lose for for kind of whoever's doing it and um, it's been fifty fifty so far as to whether the rebels have won or the imperials have won. <clears throat> Every time I've done a show where I've managed to get through two games. Um, the Rebels have won one and the Imperials have won one. And the, the Imperials are now one in the lead because they, they won at York. Uh, and again, uh, what happened at, uh, at York was uh, the first three dice out of the dice bag in turn five uh, were, uh, were Imperial dice. Uh, the Rebel player couldn't get a dice out of the bag uh, and they literally just needed to make one dice roll. Uh, they had they had one hero left because they'd had shocking dice rolls on previous attempts. They'd they'd failed um, all of their previous attempts twice. Ouch! So, so they'd they they'd got uh, 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 yeah they'd got no heroes left. They started the final turn turn five with no heroes because they they'd lost four to the turns. And, and they'd lost two uh, to bad dice rolls, um, uh, but um, it was it was great. Um, uh, and um, unfortunately, they had they had two stands left, um, and uh, they just got chased down uh, by by the uh, by the Imperials. And if anything other than three Imperial dice in a row had come out, then they would have got their shot at. They would have got their shot at redemption, so it's always it's always really close. Um, but that's got to be, be be good, I think, for like especially for like a participation game, though, know, to have to always make sure every game comes into like a hard win for for one side. There's no, like, admittedly, like the planet blows up, everyone dies, so it's like yes. But being able to say, you know, players A or players B, you won or lost. But it's nothing to really be that upset about because it just comes down to like a dice roll at yeah. the end. And it's, I think, I would imagine, especially because you get a lot of, I would imagine you'll get like a lot of the children and younger people play it. Or is it mostly as curmudgeonly old folk? You, 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 you think, I, I did it with the expectation that it would attract kids, um, but I've not had that many. Uh, I've had lots of lots of kids kind of come over and parents have kind of kind of kind of um, done it. But actually, it's mostly it's mostly blokes in the late 30s uh, to uh, to 50s. Uh, 
pleasingly, I have had several families uh, and have even even managed to get mum involved on on two occasions. Uh, mum has actually uh, taken taken part, and that, that's that's really great because you know again the decision making seems to be at a kind of level that that the mums are kind of comfortable with that they're not really interested in the in the the hand to hand fighting, but but they they were always um, quite quite uh, interested in in saying no no we need to be doing this or no we'll kind of do that. Uh, and, and that that that's been that's been really good, and and again, what's what's also been interesting is is the kids, when they've played, have often been imperial. They've they've decided to be imperial rather than rebels, uh, and um, although I think in in one case I, I had a dad in the family decide that he was going to be the rebels, uh, and therefore the kids had to be the imperials. Um, I can see that victory condition, though, for the Imperials. I can see it being like quite a satisfactory one, though. It's like it's a 50-50, basically, if they are they going to transmit the plans off or not. And like from like the self-justification point, you know, if I was making that role, I would fail it. So it's like, but I think like, oh, yeah, you, you've not succeeded in chasing them down. So you, you've seen the movie. It's like, it's the Hail Mary. Do they get it off? Yeah, they do. Oh, cool. Like you'd be annoyed that you you lost, but that not really because you've had fun. It's more in the playing rather than the the thing, isn't it? But by be, having that like fifty fifty chance, or like I said, you know, you've the imperial players managed to run all the rebels down. They yeah. can sort of like stack it in their favour. Um, yeah. But also, it, it sounds also like even if like the rebels have had like a torrid time. You said like the the player who had like they've got no heroes left, they've only got like a couple of stands left. It still means like they're still sort of like in within a hope yes. by like by that last turn because like I don't know about you, but I I can no no longer even feign enthusiasm of playing a game where you know like you, you got it's going to take you two and a half hours to play the game, and you know within the first half an hour. There's absolutely no way I can possibly even draw this game. Yes. All I can now do is lose slower yes. until I have no figures left on the table. There is no, all they're going to do is slowly, I can like, how long is it going to take me to pack my toys away? Yes. And it might as well, like, I will quite often now just, just go, right, you've won. Let's reset and Correct. play again. You can have all the kudos or I will just, I'm going to go and get a drink. We'll just and and again with the imperial player, particularly if they if they've played through from the beginning, they they start off with a really small force and they don't know what they're doing, but it just gets bigger and bigger, and they get they get a better idea of what they're trying to do. They get a better handle on how to play the game, and so from from turn one, they're they're really on the back foot. They're really unsure. They really don't know what's going on. They don't know how to play the game. And by turn five, they're like, yep, these guys are going to go down there. This is going to come here. If I get a third dice, this is what's happening. We're going to corral them down here. I want them pushed off there. And, and you can see, particularly when I think, I think partisan, the other partisan, I got, I got three guys uh, playing the Imperials. And they were bouncing strategy off, off as, they, as, they, as they got more and more forces they were like yeah we're going to do this right now we've got to do that one but you can't do that island yet because if we do that island 
that's where he's going to run to. So we have to do that island last. So let's let's start at the edge and push him in. And so um, it, it's it's it, it's quite a satisfying journey that they've gone through. So even even the imperial players that have lost have kind of have kind of felt that they've had a really satisfying game because they really got a handle on it and and they could see that the rebel players were losing. They could see that they were going to win. They just didn't quite get yeah, it. Yeah, I think yeah. I imagine that it, it, it's got to be by having that morphing and like having the rebel players start off relatively stronger and going, oh, we can we can win this as a stand up fight, but then it shifts. You no, know, we're just trying to stay alive when we are playing cat and mouse, and like them going, yeah, can I eke out long enough? to win or not. I think it, I think that, that like morphing of it, I think it's probably going to be like very enjoyable for for a player to go, yeah, I mean I'm invested in this narrative, irrespective really of if I win or lose, because I'm telling the story. And yeah. it's like it, it comes to like a a conclusive story that makes sense. Because it's like, yeah, like even when the rebels <laughs> win they're going to have like it's always going to be the elf are going to have like crushing wins. Or they're always going to be like most of them are dead. It's never going to be like yeah. it's impossible. That's going to be like and the rebels killed everyone. Yeah, you know, no. they just they just waltzed into the tower with nay a stormtrooper knocking it out. That like, that's not going to happen. So yeah. it's like whatever. And like I think again with like at least when I play games, like when they end with like a really like. Oh, I've like uh, ends up with sort of like a victory or like a loss that just doesn't make sense to like what's going on, on the table. I was like, oh, I've got like complete tactical tactical superiority of the entire battlefield in like within the time frame that I was done. But because I forgot to have one dude stand in a token in the middle of the field, you've technically drawn um, that sort of thing. It, it, whereas like, yeah, I think having being able to come up with a mission and like a game which is simple, as you said, like one of when we do the like game reviews and things, one of the big things that I love for a game is you kind of know what you're doing by the end of turn two. You sort of yeah. you feel you, you know what you're doing, and yeah, it says like by having you know the idea of like guys who are like bouncing tactics off of each other and they know what they can do, but they also know what they can't do, and so like thinking that in, I, I think it stands both as like how good a system. Like all hell let loose is and of itself, and now having played it, fully agree it is. But also the choices that you made to how they sort of fit in with the game, because also like six turns, like well five turns for a game, it is a pretty sprightly game, isn't it? You, you, it's not like you, you've yeah. got doesn't so. Like, I think like the, the game I played of all hell let loose with the other day, we probably had maybe like we forgot to count turns, but we probably had like eight or nine turns quite easily maybe even even more um ed won that because it took too long but i think yeah so I, I think having been able to like develop a narrative but also be able to have the game fundamentally change where it goes so you know the hunter becomes the hunted yes and then like the one who's hard pressed all of a sudden has like massive material surplus and all go, well we can do everything but actually the one thing we now haven't got is time it's got to be like a really fun thing for a game because now, now like when i played the game i didn't have time to play it all i was one of those people was like sorry i've got to go um 
But I think also it you know stands to your testament as like a scenario designer to have made it so so equally that you know it's only like one or two games in, which is it not fifty fifty? I think it would be quite easy. I think for a lot of people to have come up with the game and go basically one side always wins unless the dice rolls go a very specific way. Yeah. Or there's no real game here. All it basically comes down to is if the rebel player rolls four falls, they sort of auto win. There's nothing the Imperial player can sort of do. Whereas it, it sounds that like even if you know everything goes really right for the rebel player, but the Imperials also play pretty well, it doesn't really matter. So it's like yeah, yeah, uh, and. And it's it's interesting having um, having people essentially within the same game are playing two different games, um, you know. So the the imperial player is is a conventional war game. Let's go in there and kill it. And the the, the rebels is time. I'm playing for time, and 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 I just have to be lucky, you know. Essentially, it, it is a, a game designed for, uh, for for people that roll high on on dice. But yes. Um, it, it it was again throwing back to the engine. Um, you know the the Gloucesters play a very different game from the Chinese. The Chinese is all about large scale maneuver and numbers, and the Gloucesters is all about small small tactical decisions and how do I hold a hilltop and how how do I switch this troop from that one and get get rid of this disorder and that disorder and the Chinese player is just throw another unit in, throw another unit in. And and so um whilst that was a very much a conventional war game, um that the, the game felt very differently. Uh, and and I had had I've had people play both sides at different times and they say it is it is very different. Uh it suddenly becomes a very different game when you're on the other side. Because you're you're just not kind of kind of doing uh, the same thing. So I, I I like a game that that kind of plays with those kind of perceptions and and kind of changes the way uh, that people maybe look and view uh, what a war game would look like and, and kind of how it is. So well, yeah, for, for, for playing a couple of your games, I would say I think something that I think you definitely bring to all your games, obviously apart from obviously the absolutely stunning like visual spectacle of them is actually having that like asymmetrical gameplay work really well where both sides may have like very very unbalanced forces especially i think probably the the biggest examples i think i would imagine like yeah how you played like the gloucesters to the chinese is night and day i know i was playing the chinese there's like it's strange to play a game where you've got such, such like a superiority in figures. It's like, oh, I can't move my forces forward because the mauled units in front of them are in the way. It's kind of like, could you could you please hurry up and kill the dudes in front? So the next, it's like, oh, did they, they survived? I really wanted those stands to go so they could be replaced with more useful <laughs> troops. Um, yeah, but kind of like having that. I think it was very difficult to sort of try and have that, like, to be able to like model, like, basically human waves, but make it still enjoyable for the player who is both 
play trying to push the human waves forward, but also playing also for the player who's trying to like counter those human waves without it just being I set them up, I take them off the table, I set them up, I take them off the table, and just or just go, it's just a conveyor belt. We just keep, you know, turn one and turn five are exactly the same. I move them forward. You can know like everything things are always happening. And like it, with the Gloucesters, they're like, although it's his take this hill, you know, hold the hill, do it. As it changes, you know, the influence of the battle changes and as you know, they have to give ground slowly and it's like how quickly how do they slow yeah. ground like the, I think I think it is that level of extra detail in the actual game itself which truly like stands them apart from games rather than just going this looks really pretty this looks stunning just roll a few dice and just gawp at it it's yeah. that actually there is like a really interesting multifaceted game here yeah which is very asymmetrical and almost no game really most games don't do asymmetrical games very well because we're so used to playing i've got a thousand points you've got a thousand points well now just right i've got 500 points left you've got 348 points left i've got 100 and x amount of points victory that counts as a minor victory on i go um and i i think that's i know it's something that is like less prominent in historical gaming but i think definitely in sort of like sci-fi gaming and like especially sort of Star Wars thing, I think yeah. the idea of going, well, yeah, they've got three times as much stuff as you and they've not got any magic or wizard powers or anything to sort of like balance it out. No, it's just, it's all in how the, the game works itself that balances it out. I, I think, you know, you should give yourself a big blue Peter badge. <laughs> sort of like Thank you very much. Making yeah. that work because I, I don't know anywhere else the only other games that i know of that do so sort of like asymmetrical gameplay quite well are horrendously complicated to sort of do it or unfun because they just arbitrarily like hamstring you with going like well you were doing this but now you can't because i say you can't do it because it, it balances the, you know it's like well you can set a up on here you've got far more troops than the opponent but you can't move them forward to engage the enemy because you'll just swarm them and it doesn't work. So, well, yes. What idiot yeah. would not do that? It's yeah. Uh, but I think again, you, it's it's being able to play with a flexible rule system. That that's what I that's what I kind of like doing. So it's it's kind of going in there and going, all right what what am i essentially looking at what do i essentially want to achieve and then how do i put a mechanic in that kind of rewards you know the appropriate bits and and you know to be to be fair you know there's kind of there is kind of an invisible railroad there's there's no there's no two ways around it there's a, there's an invisible railroad but i think the key is is to kind of make that that railroad reasonable uh, and for people to kind of understand it, um, uh, and uh, and you know, I, I've got a big advantage in this one in that I, I can say to people, right, well, do you remember what happens in the movie? And and you know, I think at one point somebody was going, oh, my my attacks died. Oh, I really wanted to do something with those. And I went, do you remember what happens in the movie? And he was, yeah, the attacks come in and it attacks. And I go, yeah. 
and then then they fire the rebels they 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 fire off the rocket thing at it don't they and it hits and and you know, we think oh yeah great the attack's been destroyed and then it turns around and it shakes it off and then it turns its gun and then then what happens it goes oh yeah the x-wings arrive and it explodes and it's, like, <laughs> it's like that's what happened in the game that's what you know do you think with your games so because you like umpire them it allows you to you're able to like obscure some of those railroads for more than if it was just a two-player game yes. and you're just doing that and I, I know it's something again in our gaming group so i just keep talking about our game group all the time we place so many more games now where basically one of us runs the game and it just even if we're actually playing in it as well because it, it just allows that level of sort of like arbitration or this is what's happening and nobody has to sort of like argue and it goes you just sort of like making sure things are sort of moving along and going in like the way that makes logic and sense in the game but yeah. also sort of keeps it as a game so do you think like the, the games that you design and obviously because you're running them as a participation game you're always going to be there but do you think you're always going to base them around that idea that you do have that like overarching sort of like umpire role in them and so sort of like when people are setting up you go well you want to really sort of think about doing this, you know, this. yeah when i run um i i i ran three kind of big battle weekends uh, as i call them up here but you know on eight foot by six foot tables because uh, that's about as big as i can get at the moment um and i umpire those uh, uh but again you know, part of the reason for that is is that, you know, I'm, I, I'm really lucky. I've got friends that wargame all over the country and they're coming, kind of, kind of coming up to these things. But, you know, not everybody's a regular player with the rule set. So a, a lot of it's about, about, you know, getting people back and familiar with the, with, with the rules whilst they're playing. So, you know, uh, some of the people in the room actually played the game quite a lot. So then you have the problem if what happens if you pair an inexperienced player with an experienced player, and then you know you, I, I don't want I don't want somebody spends their one weekend away gaming, coming up and finding that they because they didn't know the rule set inside out, uh, lost on turn four and got overrun and had a really miserable weekend uh, because the guy they were playing really knew how the, how the rules work. Uh, although, you know, I kind of have to be careful because I introduced a, a new player to the rule set, uh, I think in November, and I ran a game, and we ran a we ran a tester game, and he did that, and then we played the second game, which was intended to be a more even game and was intended to be a real challenge, and he absolutely wiped the floor with me. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that was that that was that was quite sobering. So, uh, but you know, that was that was that was great. Um, um, it was fantastic. I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, myself uh, watching watching somebody teach me how to play a game I know uh, quite well. Well, that's you. you, you I'm sure you know, Charles. One of the, the key things to anybody who like writes games or is deeply involved in games is to be like terrible with the rules when they actually play them. It's and it's like I haven't played that many game designers at their own games. Everyone I have played has always gone like, really? Yeah. Or like, or like the amount of times I've seen like game designers at like a tournament or something, I, and then I, like 
they, they yeah. will come up and then you know the following week there will be a new errata come out when somebody pulled a shenanigan on them i i i i don't wish to denigrate my 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 friend david in any way shape or form but i have to regularly remind him uh, of the rules and it, it, it it's it's not their fault it is not their fault uh i i counted 23 or 20, 21 or 23 versions of of the game when i was play testing it so i was in, i was involved in critiquing 20 something versions of the game uh, I didn't see every version that that David did, so I suspect that he was in the high thirties, maybe low forties, and it's kind of hard to remember after you, you know. And again, you know, we don't get to game that often, so again, he's playing a game because uh, he plays, you know, any good game designer plays loads and loads of different games, so he's playing lots and lots of different things. So he only gets to play his own game once every three to four months as well. And then there's all these scenario rules, and then there's special rules, and then there's there's the optional rules that we're bringing in, and then kind of other things. So he's he, you know he's got it'll be the same with any other rules. Oh, I, I, I'm just sat here in a greenhouse with my giant sack of rocks. Just yeah, yeah it, no, I, I think yeah, com- completely agree. It's yeah, how I, I know the amount of like when I write something and somebody will go, well, that's wrong. And so I was just like re-edited it, and then he was, oh yeah, that was like draft sixteen, and we know on draft. Uh, yeah, it's no, but I, I think it is. I, I, I think yeah, just like just wrap up this little bit of section of the chat. I, I think it is. I think it's testament both to like the rule system that how you're able to sort of like adapt it and and change it so much. But I think you should give yourself a lot of the credit for like the scenario design. As as well for how like all your games, as I say, sort of like they, they play along and like how you're able to drop in, and within like a minute or two of you saying what you're doing, you know what the objective is, even if it can be like a quite convoluted objective. In that, if you were trying to say like write this on a bullet point, what am I trying to do? Well, it's a bullet point with a couple of like adject clauses and all sorts of stuff and it, it's quite complicated but, but you're able to like explain what you know to do so you know right the next dice i probably need to try and do x y or z towards the goal for what i'm doing and then what you're able to do is then by then you have that goal and you then introduce the next goal it kind of keeps you engaged and you you're enthused about what you're doing without being like completely bamboozled by like well i've got 27 goals to do yeah. Where are they going to go? And I would think, especially something like Rogue One, where like, yeah, as you said, when you, you'd like you'd gone through and you'd like picked up, with, I think like the fourteen incidents, or as you sort of said, you sort yeah. of know from watching the film, you go, well, I know what's going to happen, but you probably forget like what order exactly they happen in the film. But you sort of go, right, oh, I for- I've remembered that happened, but I thought it had sort of already happened. I'd forgot when that was sort of happening. So I suppose you, you, there's going to be like quite a bit of like circumventing expectation of going well do you go in like the exact order that it happens in the film or you go like yeah especially like with opening the data vault with the droid you go like all right the droid's going to open the data vault and then he can be sacrificed because he's done that's when he dies in there yeah and then going yeah the 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 guy who the hero savior at the end you think if you're thinking logically about watching the movie well you know the the three who do the infiltration yeah. Or probably you're not going to sacrifice them because they're the kind of ones where everything sort of 
rests on. But then yeah. when I said, yeah, but he was able to like shut down the Imperial players' intervention thing, we're going to actually probably going to be used. Most of the time, you're going to think, Orsa's intervention thing, that can go. Well, well yes. a bit more useful. Exactly. That, that's the thing. It's, uh, there's a couple of, couple of the rebel players have kind of looked at everything and kind of gone, right. Oh, the pilot, Bodhi Rook, Imperial pilot, plus one on the roll to get off the planet. And again, talking about invisible railroads, there's no roll to get off the planet. Yeah. Bodhi Rook is the first of the Rogue One crew to die. He, you are not getting off the planet. He's he should be the first one you throw away. And yet I've had I've had rebel players keep him right to the end. And, and you know it, it is it's 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 me kind of kind of doing that. And you know I I've joked with the rebel players uh, at the end of the at the end of the thing. And, and you know they've they've seen the fun the funny side of it. But yeah, they're kind of like going yeah. We weren't getting off the planet, were we? It's like, no, he's the first one to die. You get get rid of him first. So, yeah, uh, it, it, it is. It is. It's kind of all those 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 little things that 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 make it make it fun. And you know, I, I've I've watched Rogue One, obviously because I was doing this. I, I've probably watched it twenty times, uh, and I've watched sections of it maybe thirty to forty times. And, and I had to write down on a piece of paper the exact sequence that everything came out in so that I could build the game that matched that sequence. There is no chance that any player that's maybe seen Rogue One four or five or ten times, even turning up to the game, is able to is able to go through and go, I know what is happening um, and therefore I can plan for it because you, you can't you can't remember. You can't but- remember. I would also imagine, though, like with the, the the combinations of like the ordering the dice, like the order the dice comes out the dice bag is going to be like an order combination in yeah. the millions, and then you go with the then like the interaction of like the different heroes and how they interfect them. You're going to have like technically like billions of combinations of exactly what happens, aren't you? So like no yeah. game. No one turn of the game is ever going to be the same or even Absolutely. similar to another Absolutely. game because you, you know, yep. you've got all the different dice that can come out. How they can all be interacted with is completely different. Yes, and like by like turn three or four, you're going to have like a different bunch of heroes every time. So it's yes. almost like you, it's like an enigma machine of possibilities. It, so it, many different things. It, it absolutely is, and it, you know, it's great. Uh, I've, I think I've taken it to five shows. It's about to go to its sixth show, and not a single game has been similar to any of the previous games. They've all, you know, incidents have been similar, but the actual game, the way it kind of plays out, the approaches, the places that people run to and hide, and the places they attack, are all different. And it's great because I can, I can then, I mean, the engine. The engine was a conveyor belt, and you know, after I'd run it ten or twelve times, it's it's always the same. It feels very different for the players that are kind of doing it, but for the for the GM, it, it's it's just yet again another seven sets of attacks across the night up a hill, whittling the Gloucesters down, and it's great for the players. You know, there, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it, but. 
Um, when you see the geography of Imjin, when you see the forces that were available, when you see the strategic thinking that was going on, Imjin will always be the same battle. It, it may play out subtly differently, but it's fundamentally the same battle. Scarif is completely different. You can, it, people um, are, are running all over the place. It, it's, it's absolutely great. I've, I've seen, um, there are, there are three Imperial barracks on the table that the rebels have to capture one of them. And one of them is really quite a long way away. It's still been captured. You know, all of the barracks have at some point been been taken by by the rebels. It's been absolutely brilliant to see. Uh, so yes, it is it is completely different every time it's done. And you're right, the you know you can replay the same battle and get a completely different result with the way the the game system works. Um, if our listeners want to come and see it out and play it, where can they catch it before it uh, goes into retirement? It's it's at Hammerhead. Uh, I think it's on Saturday, the 2nd of March. So it's the first Saturday in March. I think it's the 2nd. Uh, and it, it will be retired at the end of that show. So um, uh, anybody that wants to come and, and play the Imjin, please, uh, sorry, uh, come play Scarif, please come and find me at, at Hammerhead. Uh, and I think I'll, 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 make, a, I'll make a plea uh, on behalf of all of the, the 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 people that are putting on games. I mean, Hammerhead is a participation only show, but at every show there are lots and lots of participation games, and and it would be really cool if a lot more people that came to a war game show were able to spend half an hour playing one of the participation games. So. So can I ask everybody that's kind of listening to, to this to, to kind of make add, add a box onto their oval list uh, that says I will play at least half an hour of a participation game at one war game show uh, this year uh, because um, I, I am always inundated with people coming over and going, wow, that's really cool. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. That's that's a fabulous looking game. I'd really like to play a game like that. Oh, would would you like to play this one? Oh no, I'm sorry, I haven't got. And you know, it'll be exactly the same um, for all the other participation uh, games that are kind of going on. All of these people have spent quite a lot of time putting a lot of time and effort into running these games. Please go over and please come and play our games because there is nothing we like more than having somebody come over and play play one well, of these these games. I know I was definitely in that camp of like, I was, I was intended to play the games and then would never have time. And then I finally actually succeeded in playing the engine game by basically specifically going to Warfare to play it. And it's like, <laughs> They're like being you know, in warfare and was like, right, we're just going to we, we're basically straight there. Boom. We will play the game. And we just spent, I think, half the day playing the game. It's, yes. but it, 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 it's why I'm putting on my Turrington game, because I felt that bad going to game shows and going like, yeah, I, can't, I haven't got time. To actually, I'm here. I've not got time to actually play a game. What, what, I've come to game, a game show to play a game. What <laughs> bonkersness is this? 
Um, no, I, I think I, I'd like to get up to Hammerhead at, at, at some point, but I, I would highly encourage everybody to give a go at playing in a participation game because unsurprisingly, playing games with people who are really enthusiastic about the game they've put on, which look amazing, is, you know, quite good fun. It's Yeah, and, and you know, do something different. Play play a different period, play a different scale, play a different genre, do do something, you know, this is your opportunity to kind of try out a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, um, you know. don't go and play your normal club. You know, if you play Black Powder down your club every week, yeah, maybe don't go and play a game of Black Powder with your club mates. That's uh, the one. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like. I think, but I think it's the thing. I think it's a different thing with participation games, isn't it? Because I think participation games, you're there. The people who are putting the participation games on want to engage and chat with people about the games. Whereas if it's more like a demonstration game, it's more like stay behind the rope, don't look, <laughs> look, don't touch. You know, it's well. I, this is the, this is the, the the thing, isn't it? You know, is that they say when you're putting a demo game on, somebody has to be facing the crowd to talk to people about the game and do do everything else and you know i think there's been a real effort over over the, the last uh, you know five years or so to make sure that nobody's putting a demo game on uh, and there's not six blokes stood around a table with their backs to the to the crowd but there's always somebody kind of there oh, but with a participation game absolutely somebody is going to say kind of hello and bring you in and they're going to talk to you and they're going to let you you know make decisions and, and play and you know there are some really awesome games out there yeah I, I i would challenge anybody who sees if you're just walking around and a participation game just catches your eye and you go i like the look of that even if it's not a period you've it it's like it could be a genre a scale or anything that you have never contemplated before in your life but you go i quite like the look of that even just have a chat with a person who's putting it on, but play it for just like a, a turn or two, you'll be amazed how you will be coming home going, hmm, that's now added to the possibility list. You know, the textbook example for me, uh, when I just had a chat with Pierre about Great Northern War, came home, sold some organs and bought all the reading material and Great Northern War, and it's, now, it's, it's, it's on the to-do list, but that wouldn't have even entered on the to-do list if I hadn't just looked at his game and gone, that looks really interesting. 45-minute chat later, well, I've now I even left with a bibliography of what I needed to go out and read. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it is it is the joy of our hobby. And yes. I think I think it's one of the, the things that you only get, I think, Playing on something like the engine board and, and the Scarif board is like an opportunity I'm only ever going to get if I like come to a show and get to share in like your hobby skill and like other people like you. Because like Joy of Six is like my favourite show and like, yeah, your boards always look amazing, Charles, but they are also in like a hall of other also amazing looking games. And like Absolutely. It, yeah, I mean... Per, per Broden is is always worth, he, you know, he puts on fabulous games. Dan Hodgson is always putting on a monster, uh, a monster game. His, um, his, his Save Gordon game, the uh, uh, Siege of Khartoum, 
uh, I, I got to help play test that uh, when he was putting it together. It's a fantastic game, um, you know, and he runs he runs an absolutely brilliant. And, and again, he's 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 really really good. I got a lot of inspiration off Dan in terms of how do you how do you turn a, a game into a into a kind of a narrative? How do you add in lots of little factors and things like that so that they're absolutely fantastic and then you you you've got oh the the henry um sorry robert dunlop with his world war one games uh, the and barry hilton's putting on his um his two millimeter um league of augsburg um kind of um dutch anglo dutch warship um absolutely fabulous there's there's some absolutely cracking games that come to this and, and some some genuine experts that that run them um and yeah it's kind of like yeah please 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 don't think you're interrupting don't think you're being annoying please come and say let me play and you know we'll, we'll find a way we'll find a way of getting people into into games so well, yeah well, I think that's you're not depriving anybody else. Come and play the game. But I think that's a fantastic uh, point to leave this conversation, Charles. And we, we will have a chat before too long about what the the, the next project is. Be after because I know it's already well on its way, and people on the interwebs will have seen the the, the in progress pictures of your. Um, yeah, it's it's no secret what your next project is. I don't think is it. No, it, it, it's not. No, it's 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 been announced and it dominates my my oval list. So uh, I'm I'm recreating all four miles of bloody Omaha um, for an an epic um, uh, table. So there will be a scale um, model of of Omaha with um, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stands of infantry charging uh, up the bluffs and there will be hundreds and hundreds of ships out at sea uh, landing craft there'll be battleships there'll be uh, destroyers uh, minesweepers the the whole the whole of omaha is going to be present and again it'll be a participation game uh, but I'm going to I'm going to push the boundaries. It's going to be everybody plays the Americans. So uh, there it will be it it, it will be uh, um, a, a a hopefully uh, spectacular game. And I'm I, I'm due uh, to present that for the first time at Partisan this year. So uh, I'm I'm busy painting and modelling and sticking and gluing and everything else that we need to do well hopefully you'll come back on and we're going to have a, an in-depth chat about that because i think we've, we've already gone two hours tonight on scarif so I, th I think we will not try and cram in omaha just yet we will have we'll get me back on because it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you charles you're a friend of the show and uh, we will speak to you soon about it thank you very much thank you very much for having me on and indulging two hours of me talking about rules <laughs> <laughs> It's fascinating. Really like it. It's why it's, it's why when the, the end of the last episode, I was like, can we cut? Can we quit? Can we like pop in it and come back? 
because they want to sort of like, as you know, I quite like rules, and I thought we, we can get quite into the reads of talking about rules, but I think it'll probably be like a bit different to be having had this chat at like two in the morning if we'd recorded it the <laughs> other week. It, it, yes, yes. Well, thank you very much, Charles. We'll speak thank to you, you soon. Cheers, thank you.